This is a notepad. I have kind of overthought. I, I think I, I did a recording for Tiny Habits, an episode about Tiny Habits. I outlined it for like an hour, probably maybe not an hour, but spent a good amount of time. It was probably an hour that I spent where I was supposed to be outlining it very quickly and then recording it. But of course, got distracted for that hour and then was about to start recording it. And then I realized that I did record something already from last week about Tiny Habits because I was starting to record. I was like, this feels so familiar. Anyway, then I edited that, made that into an episode and just feel like right now I'm kind of overthinking the episodes a little bit, over planning. And I wanted to do one just kind of talking, which is probably not a good idea either, but I'm going to try to do a little bit of segmenting it. So this first one, I wrote this outline called an internet deep dive, which is more like a distraction reverse, reverse dive where I'm going to walk back through one of those. You've probably had this where you're watching a video and then you realize, wait, how did I get to this video? And then you can backtrack a few different, this link and then that link. And then you remember where you started and it was completely different from where you began. So this last video that I was on, when I stopped to think like, wait, what was I doing in the first place? It was a video about Prince and Michael Jackson. It went, it it was kind of this explanation about why they never collaborated. A bunch of false starts where mostly it sounded like Prince didn't want to do it. They would, and then, but Quincy Jones would try to get them to, I guess, like squash the beef basically. And he wanted to help them produce like a track together. Prince was supposed to show up on We Are the World, but didn't like how it sounded and kind of, and he just flaked. So I don't know how valid all of that was, but as I was watching that, I was thinking like, wait, why am I watching this? It's, it was maybe like 7.30 in the morning and here's how it started. I did wake up too early. I think it was six, which isn't crazy early, but I just, it definitely wasn't eight hours of sleep. So usually I'll fall asleep to a podcast lately. I've listened to the rewatchables pretty often, but I just threw a Bill Simmons episode on to go back to sleep to. It was the JJ Reddick episode from, I think this week or yeah, probably from this week, right near the start of the episode, JJ Reddick is talking about, they're, they're just discussing coming back for the season, where people have been practicing, how he practices. So he has he found a gym that he could go to. And then he was talking about the Lakers, and he suspects that they're probably practicing at, he just mentions someone in Bel Air has a replica of the Staples Center. And this just sounds fascinating that someone has that. Some super rich dude just has a replica of the Staples Center court. Not not a re- sorry, not a replica of the entire Staples Center. That's like not like there's that scene in Contact where one of the machine basically it's like billion dollar machine explodes. Then eventually they find out there was another one being secretly built. So there's no secret Staples Center, but it's a replica of the court. He mentioned that Chandler Parsons a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, posted videos training at this replica court there's a few players that train there jj reddick says that he trained he trained there so looked up that chandler parsons video that was the next video that i watched it's just him shooting in the half court and it's not very clear like how to look up this court even more until it pans across towards the end of the video and then instead of it saying staples center it says jackson center then with a little bit of searching look that up there were a few articles from 2010 2012 ish 
they mentioned a few teams doing their practices at Steve Jackson's house. Not Steven Jackson, the player, but someone named Steve Jackson. So that's the Jackson Center. And yes, it's a replica of the Staples Center. They talk about different teams who are going to play the Lakers or play the Clippers that are in town, staying at hotels that are far away from the Staples Center. So going there to practice, going back to the hotel, going back for the game would just be too much in L.A. traffic. So some of them have connections to be able to do their practices at Steve Jackson's house, the Staples Center replica, the the court replica. He also has a bowling alley. These articles always mention, oh yeah, and he also has a bowling alley and tennis court and just looks, and yeah, apparently it has giant like weight room facility and all sorts of things. So then I started looking up like, oh, who is this? And how did he get all his money? So did your shoes ever light up as a kid? He wasn't the founder, but he eventually became the chairman of LA Gear. LA Gear, of course, makes LA lights, which were awesome. I had a pair. I think I had a pair. I might have had a pair of some off-brand version of them, but at one point in my life, I know I did have sneakers that lit up. Anyway, I end up looking up some LA Gear stuff, then started looking up some videos and about LA Gear, like, oh, what happened to them? But one of the first results that they have is this look at one of their failed campaigns, not with an athlete, but with a celebrity, a music celebrity, musician, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. He had an endorsement with them that failed. Just the shoe, I think it was mostly the shoe design was a little too aggressive for the parents that were going to be buying it for kids. And also, I think Michael Jackson was not, it shows him like at the introductory press conference and then he gets a little bit upset about getting the shoes handed to him so that he could take photos with them. And he, anyway, that of course eventually leads to different Michael Jackson videos. And there's right at the top of the recommendations, Michael Jackson and Prince and their relationship and why they never collaborated. And that's my weekly rabbit hole. And with some things that I learned along the way, So that is a very cool thing. Mostly I was just fascinated by this Staples Center court replica, why it exists, who has that money. And yeah, it's it's one thing, I guess, to have a basketball court, but then to have that replica and then everything else to the point that NBA teams feel comfortable or like happy to train there. That's a pretty impressive thing. And that's the first segment. Next segment, a question. What do you do about overplanning? The answer I found in a book called Do the Work. It's by Stephen Pressfield. You've probably, if you've heard of one of his books, it's probably The War of Art. That's, I think, his most popular one. He writes great. He also writes fiction novels. He wrote one of them that I want to read this year is Gates of Fire. It's about the Spartans and inspired the movie 300. In, I think it did. I mean, 300 is based on like the graphic novel. I'd have to check the timelines to see like if it inspired the graphic novel. In any case, I'm sure like people on 300 are familiar with Gates of Fire in some capacity. So getting to the quote, which I've taken a minute to get to, here's the quote from Do the Work, a research diet. Before we begin, you want to do research. Uh Uh-huh. I'm putting you on a diet. You're allowed to read three books on your subject. No more, no underlining, no highlighting, no thinking or talking about the documents later. Let the ideas percolate. Let the unconscious do its work. Research can become resistance. We want to work not prepare to work. Later, we'll come back and do serious, heavy-duty research. 
later, not now. And then before that, there's a section that's out of the quote. So before that, there's a section called start before you're ready. Don't prepare. Begin. This does seem to be something. Sometimes I over plan. Sometimes I'll just start before I'm ready. So maybe this is the best thing for me to not do research because I think a lot of times I'll start writing without starting with a book quote or anything to anchor it. But for people who can't get started then or people who over research i do this too where i've mentioned it in the past where i will start adding all these different quotes to something and then it just gets kind of out of hand and right when i think of oh yeah this reminds me of something else then i'll start looking up that quote that takes some time and then transcribe if it's a podcast i have to like find it in the episode and then pull that in and then that takes some time and then now I have to like start writing about that. And it, it always ends up leading to more and more connections that usually ends up in me not finishing something because I don't want to do the editing afterward. So follow that advice. If you're doing creative work, start before you begin. Don't do too much research. Three books is probably enough, especially if you're not writing another book. If you're just writing a blog post or something, then three books is plenty. And that's the end of this segment. Next question. Next question. How many episodes will it take to hit your stride? The answer is 46. This is from Russell Brunson. Or actually, the answer is 45. Here's the quote from Traffic Secrets. The first episodes were not good. In fact, years later, my friend Steve J. Larson told me the first 45 or 46 episodes weren't very good. But then around that time is where it seemed like he found your voice and they started getting better and better after that. The good news for me, and also for you, is during your first episodes, the ones where you are the worst, no one is listening to you yet. If I hadn't done the first 45 episodes, I never would have gotten to episode 46, where I started to hit my stride. That's the end of the quote from Traffic Secrets. So that's Russell Brunson. He does a bunch of other stuff, so he created... Click funnels, but he has a good podcast called Marketing Secrets. It's something that I try to listen to every once in a while, or pretty recently now. I listen to every episode, but used to kind of like check in here and there for episodes. And he does a 10 minute solo episode. So I'm very interested, of course, in solo episodes, people doing these solo episodes. And I think he's able to, he's an example of someone that is not a comedian that is able to do an effective solo episode. Probably the key thing is keeping it on the shorter end. So he does 10 minutes. Sometimes he'll go to 30 minutes on a topic, but for the most part, it does seem like the episodes are around 10 minutes. I've seen some podcasts where it's like four or five minutes and that seems too short if you're subscribed to it, but it can be nice. Those very, very short ones. If you're just like, digging through the archives and you just want to look up some topic and what can i learn from that i think one thing aim to keep these short have some structure and try to like stick to one topic which i'm not doing in this episode and i am thankful for everyone that listens to these early ones he also talks about in this section he didn't know how to check the analytics which can be depressing if you don't have... No, nah, not that depressing. It's fine. It's not like a mistake. I, I think it would be depressing if you thought you had all these listeners and turns out you didn't. But I'm pretty well aware of the current situation. But just aiming to be consistent. So that's something that he was able to do is stay consistent with his release schedule. And that's something I'm trying to do. And I'll stop talking about what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to keep doing that. And... Hopefully I can get to episode 45, hit my stride, 
and then continue on after that. Next question. How do you, how do you figure out what your ideal environment is? I got the answer reading Julie Zhu's book, The Making of a Manager. And here's the quote. If you're not sure what your ideal environment looks like, ask yourself the following. Which six-month period of my life did I feel the most energetic and productive? What gave me that energy in the past month? What moments stand out as highlights? What conditions enabled those moments to happen? And are they recreatable? In the past week, when was I in a state of deep focus? How did I get there? That's the end of the quote. So it is kind of defining your ideal environment. And this book is around work management. There's some self-care topics in this, but it is about becoming a manager at work. So it is themed around that and figuring out your ideal working environment can be a good thing. So these are kind of reflection questions for different periods. So six months, one month, and then the past week. And if I just go through this six-month period of my life where I was energetic and productive, I always do think about this time in 2014 when I would just go to coffee shops on the weekend and then work on prototypes, like design prototypes. And I remember like the record that I had, one of those personal best kind of things. I was at it's the, the Bean in East Village and I would, I sat there, worked on this prototype, these different blog posts. And then by the time I left, I, I think I got there at 7 a.m., Saturday or Sunday. I remember it was the weekend and then left maybe 4 or 5 p.m. Bought multiple drinks. So I wasn't just like nursing one small hot coffee the entire time. But I always think of that time as a very productive time, being very motivated to do design work to do programming, to write code. And I think that environment, just having the coffee sounds, having coffee, being in a different environment from working at home is a motivating thing. But that was a long time ago. So in the past six months, definitely can think of times sitting at Starbucks with my iPad, Starbucks or at the gym on my iPad with a cup of coffee, something like that. And then getting focused there. And then in the past week, something that I recently got, well, I've mentioned before that we panic bought this treadmill probably in March. I've used it pretty much probably like five days a week. So it, it turned out to be a good purchase. Definitely was unsure if it would be a good purchase, but have used it. And then a couple weeks ago, I bought a tray that attaches with these different straps. It took a while to get it. It's not made, it's it's kind of this generic tray that should fit most treadmills, but it does mean there's no like set instructions. You just kind of have to figure it out with these straps to see what works. Well, finally got it attached nicely and have had some good writing sessions, had a good writing session last night. So there's some of that. And an experiment that I've done this week was I stopped listening to music when I'm working on stuff. And I just, but I do use the white noise. So I've been putting coffee sounds on, airplane interiors, all these things that mess up whatever music algorithms I have or like video algorithms, I'll just mess it up completely by listening to a 10 hour looping white noise thing of an airplane interior. And that's how I get focused. I drown out everything else with artificial sounds. Next question, probably the last question. Here's the question. What's the magic of 120 hours and hard days? Found the answer from Cal Newport. He has a book. His most recent book is Digital Minimalism. Before that, he wrote about deep work. Before that, it was so good they can't ignore you. And 
he just his writing the different books that he writes have progressed from he careers to getting deeper in your career with deep focus blocks deep work definitely is this one book that i can clearly say has changed my life and then now it seems like he's going to be writing about email and how to change the mindset around email and change the, like the culture around email and constant distraction doing work but some of his earlier books are about being a good college student. So he wrote a book called How to Be a Straight-A Student and has this quote, or this is the quote from it that I have. It's from a section called Procrastination Battle Plan. And that's step number five. Choose your hard days. Hard days are inescapable at college. Sometimes you simply have more work due than you can handle with, well, balanced schedule in these cases relaxation and socializing have to take a backseat to your study obligations as jeremy a straight a student from dartmouth admits occasionally i end up setting aside one full day where i just lock myself in my room with some food and grind through you can't avoid these hard days but you can control their impact that's the end of the quote it reminded me of something else from neil Pashrika. his he has a book how to be awesome i think that's what it's called. but he also has this article called why you need an untouchable day every week and it's similar he how he does it is he plans 16 weeks ahead and then one day each week is this untouchable day so that's where he has no meetings he can't be contacted for some period of the day that sort of thing and then what this all reminded me, or actually what got me to look up these book quotes was, and I recorded a separate episode about this that I need to edit, but just trying to find hunt down this podcast clip. It's from Nick Santora. He is he wrote Prison Break. He wrote Scor- Scorpion TV show and other things. I think his first big break was being able to write an episode of The Sopranos. So he has a bunch of stories about that, which are great. But he talks about, it took me forever to find it. It's on an episode of Adam Carolla podcast, and he talks about the magic of 120 hours. So this is just five weekends a year. The math to get to 120 hours is you pick five weekends in the year, then Saturday and Sunday, you set aside 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. just to work on something. And so that ends up being 120 hours. And that's what he says can be the difference between not having a script written or having a script written or being someone that is a regular writer, but then they can also fit in a novel now because in that year, and it's just five weekends out of 52. So you can, he suggests that you can change your life with if you just pick five weekends and then 12 hours. And it's not... 16 hours it's not trying to work 20 hours or it's definitely more than eight but you do 12 hours 7 a.m 7 p.m you could still have dinner with people clock out at 7 p.m enjoy some time with other people and then get back to it sunday morning and you can finish a project in those two days at least like the draft of a large project like the draft of some whatever it is that you're working on whatever it is that you're writing so i do like that idea the and it reminds me of actually hackathons, which I'm guessing are still popular, but there was a time when they were new and becoming popular. And it was just this thing of work on something very hard Friday into Saturday and then present it midday Sunday. Awards are handed out, that sort of thing. And you form teams right at the beginning. So it can create this very intense situation. I would suggest probably the sleep deprivation brings you closer with the teammates. And that's not what, again, like what Nick Santor is saying with the 120 hours is 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Where hackathons, especially earlier on, it 
the whole like burnout thing wasn't as big of a topic i would say in the 2000s like around when i think yeah it was just like just knock this out over the weekend red bull whatever fuel you need work very hard on that finish that and definitely like if a lot of stuff has been created through hackathons. A lot of ideas have been made more concrete through different hackathons throughout the past, throughout the years and in different countries. So it is another example of just setting aside a couple days to get very, very focused. Similarly, another discipline, design, there's design sprints. So that's four day, five or a five day schedule where you go from ideas for features and then take it to build something concrete that you have actually put in front of users. And I do just like this idea of taking like that block of time because there's some of the element of this where motivation is can be fleeting. I saw some I can't remember where I saw this now, but it was just this chart. It's just a bell curve about motivation and when you should work on something because there is that thing of you can file it away for later and work on an idea later so you can focus on whatever it is you're supposed to focus on now. But sometimes if that idea definitely is something better than what you're currently working on, then maybe it is worth jumping into that because the motivation for that can be very high and that will drive you to be able to complete that. So if you can work as much as you can while you're highly motivated, that can be a good thing. Otherwise, if you try to spread it out, the motivation will fade without you haven't put the work into it. So that's that. That's the last question. That got kind of long, but find some working blocks to just do some sprints on whatever it is that you're working on. Don't try to do, this is 12 hours a day for two days, not for years at a time. And I like that idea of crunching, making a bunch of stuff. And that's kind of what I'm doing, trying to do today. But I'm just going to end this here. Again, it got too long. Thanks for listening. That's the end of this NotePod episode, a bunch of different topics.